Hi, I'm Karen Shade Lanier, and this is Cherokee Artist Showcase. Today, we have the privilege of visiting with Betty Christie Frog. Betty is a Cherokee National Treasure for Basketry. She was, received her designation in 2010, and she has gone on to do uh, actually a lot of different kinds of traditional Cherokee skills and arts, including twining, including uh, traditional clothing. She's also a Cherokee language speaker, which has made her integral to the Cherokee Immersion Charter School and their effort to preserve the Cherokee language. Betty, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. I was really glad. We're really glad to have you with us today. Betty has a new exhibit coming out. It's titled Betty Christie Frog Carrying Her Culture. It is going on now at the Celine Courthouse Museum in Rose, Oklahoma, and it runs through the end of the year, ending on December 31st. And it features a lot of the uh, a flat reed basketry work for which you're very well known, in addition to some of your other skills. And uh, Betty, what do you think of this exhibit and uh, what do you think that it imparts to everybody who comes to visit and see it? I'm excited about it. Um... It's just something I've never done anything like this before other than going to the Smithsonian. And I had been going several years to the Smithsonian. In the last two years, we haven't got to go because of COVID. And it's always exciting for me to present my culture, what I know, uh, just kind of answer people's questions about what I do, and uh, also my family line, and also Cherokee history, Cherokee language. I, I am always openly and happy to talk to anyone about anything that they want to ask. Well, I particularly want to know more about how you got involved in basketry. Is that something that uh, was handed down to you through your family? My uh, grandparents on my mother's side. They used to make baskets all the time, but they made round reed baskets. Uh, I was young when I was watching them make the baskets, and I just, I was just kind of in awe as to how they were doing it. But I, like I said, I was young when they were making baskets. My grandparents were gone quite a while, and when I picked up baskets, I was probably in my late early 30s late 20s when I picked it uh, picked it back up everything that I have learned is something that I really really wanted to learn if I saw something I'm like wow that's exciting that that looks interesting I went found somebody that knew how to make it and where they taught me and I stuck with it until I actually accomplished what I wanted to know how to do it when to gather stuff like that is just totally I don't think exciting is a word for it, but I, I do get excited when I go gather, like the honeysuckle and the buckbrush and the natural dyes. I love doing stuff like that. I love teaching people that want to learn how to make baskets from me or twining. Uh, it's always I'm always happy to, to teach somebody that's willing to learn. And how did you get involved in making the flat reed baskets? My attraction to the flat reed was because it made beautiful patterns. It was really interesting when I got into learning the beginning of the baskets. Uh, 
when you start out with a flat reed basket, the amount of spokes that you put into it, it has to be divisible by three, six, nine, or 12. And if those are, doesn't work out that way, your patterns will not work. So when I teach, I teach an 18 by 18, just a small basket, 18 by 18, and that's 36, and that's divisible by 3, 6, 9, and 12. Like I said, if you're one number off, your pattern will not work, no matter how, how hard you try to make it work until you start counting the spokes again. That's a good thing you're a teacher then, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> now, I've seen some of your beautiful twining work, uh, some of the hemp uh, purses that you've been mm-hmm. made or rather their bags I guess is really bags, the better uh-huh. way to say that um, and I guess that I understand that they were more traditionally given to men to carry some men, of their implements exactly. like during hunts mm-hmm. uh, and of course also for clothing are there very many uh, similarities between what you do with twining uh, to what you do with the basketry work um, it's I call it basically the same thing we weave a basket also in twining twining is just a different way of weaving it's just like when you twine you're basically going over behind and over twice as you're weaving and uh, lisa rutherford who's a living treasure now she's the one that taught me how to do the twine bags also uh, noel grayson who's another living treasure also helped me learn about the twine bags. When I had questions, I'd go to Noel Grayson or I'd go to Lisa. But Lisa's the one that showed me how to do different things with it. And uh, Tim's the one that showed me how to put the design into the bag by using what he called a double twist to bring the color up. It was a great learning experience of the twining because I had heard uh, that twining was over 4,000 years old. And there's some pottery shards that have been found that have the actual imprint of the twine the twining that they used back then and they're uh, really really old pottery shards that shows twining and that is very very interesting and also twining was used for clothing and also shoes do you have any useful uh connections between like whenever you're teaching your pottery or whenever you're teaching twining or basketry because you're also a potter um are there any useful connections between teaching those arts and those skills uh that you use whenever you teach language you're a first uh you're a Cherokee language speaker that was your first language and Mm -hmm. now you teach children Mm -hmm. I love what I do and I will I teach um basketry to the kids we'll make some small ones because their hands are small and so we make small baskets we make small pinch pots and uh we talk about where the clay comes from we talk about where the basket reed comes from and that you can also get it commercially but we mostly we talk about where uh where we get it naturally and i i will take the kids out and to say hey this is a honeysuckle. This is what we make baskets with. This is buck brush. This is also another material that we make baskets with. Um, round reed baskets is something that I teach to my uh, to second graders. And uh, also introduced them last year to flat reed weaving, but I used paper. 
I use paper cutting quarter inch width and uh, showing them how to read a pattern because that's one of the skills the second graders are supposed to learn is reading a pattern, you know, how it goes. So these, I had three second graders in summer school. They did a good job in weaving, looking at the pattern. And uh, it was great. I graphed it out. And I said, okay, this is your pattern. This is what you're going to do. This you're going to start out over three. And I said, read it every time there's the darker parts that are colored in. That's where it goes over. So they did a great job in weaving paper. And we didn't have time to actually start on using flat read. But they did a great job. So it was like a wall hanging when they finished it. And to add another layer of complexity to it, you also do this all in Cherokee. Is that right? Yes, all mm-hmm. in Cherokee. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so, so uh, are are you hopeful uh, about what the immersion school is doing, and you know, being able to teach the language to these these young students that you see on a daily basis? Are you hopeful for preserving the language? I yes, I am. I am. Very hopeful to preserve the language. That was one of my goals when I heard several years ago that our language was dying out. And um, by teaching the language, you have to teach culture, history, and tradition. Because if you don't teach that, it's like you're leaving something out just by teaching language. And they have to know where we came from, uh, how they did things. Uh, and actually uh, where they're going with the language. And as people have said, our language evolves. And it does, because I know we didn't have words for a computer, a laptop, and stuff like that. And with our consortium group, they come up with words for those, and those are the words that we teach our kids since our language evolves. And at first it was like, what are you talking about evolving, you know, coming up with new words for all this new stuff, technology and stuff we had. I was kind of against it. I was like, wait a minute, we didn't have those things. But we have to have a word if we're going to keep teaching our language and teaching these kids. We have to have those words so these kids know what we're talking about. Like the gaming, the uh, computers, laptops, printers. We uh, yeah, we grew up without them, and we yes, we have those words. We have the consortium people, which involves all three Cherokee bands to come up with the words that we need, like math words, math terms, and stuff. Because when I first started teaching, I was like, "How would you say this?" You know, and what some of the elders that were working here that said, "Well, it it's a descriptive language language." And you have to kind of give a description of what is happening, what it's doing, and uh, come up with a kind of a shorter version for it. And um, it works. It works. Well, it's very much uh, having to work within a network of other speakers, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. to be able to accomplish this. And that must have been kind of a similar situation whenever you were asked to be one of the co-editors of the 2017 book, Cherokee National Treasures, Mm -hmm. in their own words. Uh, You were also in the book. So uh, tell me what that experience was like. 
it was exciting. Um, I got to read everybody's bio. And like I said, it like we said, it was in their own words. They got, we got to read everything that we said um, before it was put into a book. And then as an editor of all the tricky words, as the, uh, my job in that one was to listen to what the people, the tricky speakers were saying and to make sure those words were put in correctly in their um, biography. So it was fun. I got to visit with a lot of people. And I, I love visiting with uh, other speakers. And uh, it's uh, funny when when speakers uh, get together, it's just like eh, we forget about all, everything else out there and we're just speaking our language. And it's beautiful. Sure. It, it is. It is beautiful. We're just so grateful that you continue to do this kind of work and are always excited to hear uh, some of the future projects that you work on. Uh, now, just to kind of round this off, I will let everybody know that Betty does also voiceover work for our program, OCO Voices of the Cherokee People. She teaches the Cherokee language lessons and has done so for what, this will be your third season coming up? Mm, actually, I think it's been longer. I think it's been oh like my gosh. four. Yeah. Four, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's been, I was trying to think of the kids that I started out with. I think they're in a um seventh grade this year or eighth grade it's been fun i i enjoyed doing that with the uh let's talk cherokee segment of oco tv they would give us a list of words they wanted the kids to say so i was in the background yay and i was just um would tell the kids how to say it and the kids loved it they got to go to makeup and get their hair fixed before they went on tv and I, I love seeing the look on their faces because it was it was happy. It was something they hadn't done before. So um, this year they changed the format uh, to on OCO. Let's talk Cherokee. They have a um, animated character, which is actually using my voice again. And I was coaching um, Daisy Star. She's one of my uh, former second graders. Her name is Uwodia. And that's the name we use in the uh, Let's Talk Tricky segment. And uh, my character, animated character's name is Cnost. And so we use Awardia and her tricky name during the this new season that has that's come up. I'm not read any reviews on the new character, but uh, Jeremy Charles said it was going really good. So if he says it's going real good, it's going real good. <laughs> That's not the only animated character that you do. Tell me a little bit about uh, the animated series that you took part in, that you oh are taking part in. Oh, my gosh, that currently. was the most fun. Uh, mm -hmm. Voice character. Um, I tried out, and I thought, I'll never get it. But I got called and said, okay, we want you to be one of the voices of the uh, new cartoon that we're making all in Cherokee. It's going to be called Inagei. And I thought, wow, really? Um, I read the script, and uh, my character is the rabbit, Dai. She's, uh, everybody says, that character fits you. I thought, no, I don't. <laughs> but uh, she she's like, she likes to create things for those characters to do. She gets them in trouble, but somehow she gets them back out. So uh, everybody says, that's you, that's you. And um, we actually... I actually received a jump drive from Howard Payton a week ago, 
week ago with the three episodes. Actually, there's four, but uh, the three episodes that we had shown. So I actually have those for my kids to watch in the classroom. We uh, are really excited to see more of that, more of your efforts in that area as well. But uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing the reception of your show taking place at the Saline Courthouse Museum. And again, that exhibit is called Betty Christie Frog, Carrying Her Culture. And it runs now through the end of the year, ending on December 31st. It's in Rose, Oklahoma. Really hope that everybody gets a chance to go out and see it. So, uh, Betty, you have anything else to add to that? (laughs) No, not really. I'm excited about this. I've never done anything like this before, so... I can't wait. Just another one to check off your list (laughs) of things I've got to do. (laughs) 